A warm welcome and warning, fellow voyagers, for those traveling both again and anew. This is your Captain Raphael speaking, urging you, once you've committed to being on board, of course, to settle in, get comfy, and prepare yourselves as we prepare to take off on yet another exciting adventure past the veils of illusion, gating our consciousness in and away from the issues of climate engineering and other shady government cover-ups. Also flying past the worldwide web of lies and mind control that bind these issues to the globalist conspiracies and agendas, steadily approaching and encroaching on us while the rest of humanity slumbers. But not this ship. Not this crew. Passengers, prepare to ascend beyond the veil. Buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Welcome again, passengers. Seeing as we've discussed in our previous voyages the connection to vaccines being dispersed in aerosol programs and seeing as the CDC recently gave itself the authority to indefinitely detain anyone during a so-called crisis and force vaccinate them, there is an urgency and need to continue where we left off in our last show on vaccines. The chemtrail agenda, though varied and ties into weather modification and weaponization of airspace for multiple purposes, there is a strong connection to a pharmaceutical agenda. As Public Law 105-85 states, and we've covered that before, it is the law that was passed in 1996, giving the Department of Defense the authority to experiment on us biologically or chemically for any peaceful purpose related to a whole list of things, including pharmacological, agricultural, or even research purposes, meaning that we can be experimented on without our consent. But to actually come up and force inject people to deprive them the right of an education, such as California has done, and now Louisiana wants to get on board with that, and the self-imposed rule of governance that the CDC recently gave itself in December of last year, 2016, is a direct threat to not just non-vaxxers who do not believe, and I use believe loosely because it's our, our beliefs are not based on our beliefs, but on research that we've done independently. We have a right to not concur with the vaccine agenda. And in fact, if your vaccines work so well, then that shouldn't be a problem. However, we are under tremendous oppression and forces are working against us to annihilate the very last sovereign measures we have. In the show, we're going to share some of the reasons why you may want to second-guess vaccines if you are pro-vaccines. If the last show didn't do it for you, please feel free to start there if you like, or just pay attention. And stay tuned for an incredible interview with Sterling Hill. Hey. Hi, yes. 
Logan broke his shoulder. Be over in a minute. Just give it a minute. You always do this. Just one minute. You'll be okay. Evan uh, was diagnosed with autism in 2005. Without a doubt in my mind, I believe vaccin vaccinations triggered Evan's autism. Explain how you were able to get him from the way he was uh, two or three years ago to where he is now, which is practically functionally Recovered normal. from autism, like thousands of other kids that are doing it. Following biomedical treatment, which is basically changing the diet, giving vitamins and supplements, and detoxing the body from metals or candida, and he recovered. And the reason why the medical community has such a hard time with this is because we are treating and healing a vaccine injury. You can't have, you can't make, um, you can't make people do procedures that they don't want. The parents have to be the ones who make the decisions for what's best for, my, for, for our kids. So uh, because apparently they're worried that uh, swine flu is a public safety issue, they're talking about a law where the police can knock on your door, right? or not necessarily knock on your door, just go in and essentially quarantine you. Well, they're doing more than talking about a law. The state of Massachusetts, the, both houses of the legislature have enacted this law, and once Governor Deval Patrick signs it and he says that he will, it'll become the law, and it will allow him to declare an emergency. And once he declares an emergency, he can authorize non-health care licensed personnel, read that to mean police, sure. to vaccinate. Did you know that the license for the Pulse Club expired in 2013? That its legal occupancy was only 150? That if 50 had been killed and 53 wounded, there should have been abandoned cars all over the place? Did you know that the Dallas photograph of a series of officers behind a large wall was photoshopped? That they had to increase the size of the wall to fit the officers in? That they had orange blank adapters on their weapons? Did you know that Hillary has used body doubles? One following her collapse at the 9-11 event was shorter, weighed 35 to 40 pounds less, and looked at least 10 years younger. A May Ryan type, a second, on the plane to Greensboro was taller and slimmer and looked more like Meryl Streep. We prove it all. Don't let yourself be played. Check out From Orlando to Dallas and Beyond. Hi, if you're interested in the book From Orlando to Dallas and Beyond, then contact me in New Orleans at 504-298-6791. Or you can go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. 504-298-6791. Yes, it will, and the state of Massachusetts will be sorry it enacted this because people will revolt against it. All right. Show them the thimerosal bomb, which we keep in a metal container because we're a little afraid of it, and it's a very fine powder. This is this is thimerosal, which is labeled very toxic, has cumulative effects, can cause damage to the kidneys, to the respiratory system, skin, to the uh, nervous system specifically warns on here that it can cause reproductive and developmental toxicity, meaning that it can cause things like autism and other neurodevelopmental disorders. This is immensely toxic stuff. And it's in vaccine. And this is what's in the vaccine.
Thimerosal is a preservative that was put in vaccines back in the 1930s. Almost immediately after it was put in, autism cases began to appear. Autism had never been known before. It was unknown to science. Then the vaccines were increased in 1989 by the CDC and by a couple of other government agencies. Okay, let me stop you there. That's an important date, and I'll tell you why. My, my son, born in 1991, uh, has a, a slight form of autism called Asperger's. Right. But it seems, and again, when I was practicing law, and also when I was in Congress, parents would constantly come to me, and they'd bring me videotapes of their children, and they were all around the age of my son That's or exactly. younger. The so something happened in 1989. Exactly. The generation, what happened was the vaccine schedule was increased. We went up from receiving about 10 vaccines in our generation to these kids received 24 vaccines. And they all had this thimerosal in them, this mercury. And nobody bothered to do an analysis of what the cumulative impact of all that mercury was doing to kids. As it turns out, we are injecting our children with 400 times the amount of mercury that FDA or EPA considers safe. A, a child on his first day that he's born um, is injected with a hepatitis B shot. The, uh, under EPA guidelines, he would be have to have to be 275 pounds to safely absorb that shot. And, and, and yet, we're just constantly pumping our kids and, with these vaccines. Where's right, the federal and what government? Happened, in all what this? happened was that um, in 1988, one in every 2,500 American children had autism. Today, one in every 166 children have autism, and plus one in six children have other kinds of learning disorders, uh, other kinds of neurological disorders, speech delay, language disorders, ADD, hyperactivity, that all seem to be connected, that are all connected, the science shows are all connected to autism. The president now declaring the H1N1 outbreak a national emergency. The White House says the president signed this proclamation last night. It will allow medical officials to bypass certain federal requirements. Some officials describe this move as being similar to a declaration ahead of a hurricane making landfall. In eight hospitals from coast to coast, volunteers will receive a series of shots, some stronger than others, to figure out how much vaccine and how many shots it will take to protect the public. When you vaccinate hundreds of millions of people. Volunteers like Paul Ritterhoff will be closely monitored over the next several weeks. While doctors say the process is safe, Ritterhoff and the others risk several side effects, including fever, allergic reactions, and a remote chance of paralysis and even death. And so my question was, well, if mercury is in the vaccines, what else is in the vaccines? So I open up the package inserts and I see mercury, and aluminum, and formaldehyde, and antibiotics, and then preservatives like polysorbate 80. So I asked the pediatric resident, I said, tell me, how does the body process those materials? She could not answer me. And no one in science can, because no one has looked. They've gone from when you and I were kids, you had like eight shots. Now that's up to 70 shots and multi-shots. And they don't tell you the, the safety of these things. There is no, there's no efficacy study. And the toxicity of these things, we're having more and more side effects. You're having more and more autism. When you go from autism, which was unheard of in America in 1930, to almost one in 5,000 after um, seeds started being um, preserved with mercury, which is the second most toxic thing on this planet next to plutonium, and then you go to, let's go up a couple of decades. By 1990, it was 1 in 200. Now it's 1 in 88. 
Now, truthfully, it's true that a lot of the autism rates are grouped into one, but there is something that's really happening. And one of the, the most vulnerable things you can do to a child who doesn't have an immune system is give them a shot. And I'll just give you one example. You take the hepatitis B, okay? Now, hepatitis, you're only going to get that from drug use, and you're going to get that from um, intravenous drug use, and again, from sexual contact. And yet, they won't let a baby out of the hospital unless insisting on getting the shot. I'm sorry, there's an unnecessary shot that they don't need to have, well, especially when the baby's immune system isn't developed. The baby's immune system is the mother's immune system. So it is beyond ridiculous. It's criminal. I'm a neuroscientist by training, and my studies are in the origin of neurological disease. I develop animal models of Parkinson's and Lou Gehrig's disease. Recently, we've been looking at aluminum, which is common to many vaccines. It's used as an adjuvant that means helper. Without the aluminum, the vaccine basically does not provide any long-term protection. And so my research has looked at injectable vac uh, aluminum and how it might impact the nervous system. The difference between injectable aluminum versus dietary aluminum is that aluminum that you eat is excreted fairly rapidly. Injectable aluminum, however, is meant to stick around. And that's precisely why it's there in the first place. That's what an adjuvant does. So we simply did the really simple experiment of taking the same stuff out of the vaccines, the aluminum hydroxide, and injecting it into mice, into the muscles, to see what would happen if we tried to mimic the vaccine schedule. We were quite surprised to see how rapidly the behavioral symptoms emerged. They showed not only behavioral deficits, motor function, but they ultimately showed cognitive deficits as well. And once we sacrificed the animals and started looking inside their brains and spinal cords, we found massive damage to motor neurons. And so we may be creating the conditions for Parkinson's disease, Lou Gehrig's disease, Alzheimer's disease. Maybe not immediately, but maybe 20, 30, 40 years down. down. Still believe in vaccines? Think we're a bunch of conspiracists, quacks, and kooks? Then this is your lucky day. This is your chance to take your beliefs and make $100,000. If you can prove vaccines are safe and effective, Robert De Niro and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., will give you $100,000, as they announced in their recent press conference on the dangers of thimerosal and vaccines. But you might want to wait to hear what Sterling Hill has to say about what else is in vaccines and our food supply and how it is negatively impacting our health biologically, chemically, and genetically. Buckle up. All right. There have recently been a, a recent slew of the what, 50-plus holistic alternative health practitioners and scientific professionals who died of sudden and or strange circumstances that were linked in one way or another to research and connections being discovered between autism and glyphosate or the remedying thereof. Now, can you tell me and the layman briefly what this connection is exactly and what your part is in adding to the conversation? I know briefly is hard. <laughs> Candace Bradstreet, her brother-in-law is the one, Jeff Bradstreet, that, you know, everybody said, oh, wow, something's wrong, something's happened. Jeff was studying a lot of stuff in vaccines, viruses that were there that really shouldn't be there, um, different things. Um, and then also he was studying, um, he started um, realizing that most of these children, if not all of them that were vaccine injured, had 
low levels of GCMAF, which is the vitamin D binding protein, and they had high levels of nagalase. Well, we know that the lower GCMAF is, the higher nagalase rises. And once you start bringing up GCMAF, you know, the nagalase goes down. Nagalase is a marker they check for cancer, by the way. It's a what? It's, right. a... it's a cancer marker. Okay. When they see it high, they, they know there's probably cancer somewhere. Okay. All right. So, um, all right. They, um, Jeff, um, Jeff was studying GCMEF, and he started doing these GCMEF injections. The GCMEF injections he was getting, he was getting them from, um, from a company in the UK. And August 2015, the FDA came in. And they uh, raided his offices. They basically took everything, but he could still practice medicine, you know. And this is something Jeff was used to because he was, you know, doing a lot of um, cannabinoid therapies before that. And this happened to him several times in the past. So it wasn't anything that he was um, actually not used to happening. So it, I mean, it didn't depress him. It was like, okay, they're doing it again. And um, the next day after the raid happened, the people that were in the UK, okay, that were providing him the GCMEF injection, um, they, they, their lab was shut down. They were told, you can no longer do this. You can no longer sell this GCMEF here. Well, those people went to France, and I'm going to tell you what happened to them just a couple of weeks ago. They went to France, um, and then they kind of, since GCMAF is made native in the body, the FDA can't regulate it, so they started extracting the GCMAF again and um, putting it in a cream, and you had it FDA registered that they could sell it into the cream so people could get this, um, this transdermally as a beauty cream, right for skin, right? Right. Uh, and... Sorry about the dogs barking. No problem. Well, anyway, what had happened was um, now you have the next day, this lab in the UK was shut down. Then the following day, Jeff. Wait, what was, what was shut, up, shut down? The, the lab in the UK. Oh, the lab in the UK, yes. Injections. Then this all happened within 72 hours. The next day, Jeff was going for um, just a walk. I guess he usually did a kind of like a little therapeutic, you know, get some exercise walk on, on the weekends, and he was going for his normal walk, and they found him um, floating face down in a body of water with a bullet in his chest. They immediately said it was suicide, which the family knew it was not. Later, later findings, they hired a bunch of, like, you know, anywhere from retired FBI to their own coroner and everything. Um, experts and um, later on finding showed that he did not shoot himself in the chest that uh, that bullet came from a distance um, they could tell there was no residue on him anything right. um, and the way that, that the bullet impacted his chest they knew it was from a distance so they knew he was murdered um, so this was this was they had a couple of deaths before this but this was the one that I knew of this was the one that hit me hard because I worked a lot with the autism community, and I knew a lot of people that were seeing Jeff, either um, their children or themselves were seeing Jeff as a patient, Jeff Bradstreet. Okay. And I am friends with Candace Bradstreet, 
Alright. Well, a few weeks later, now this one, I don't know if this one was a murder, but it was kind of ironic. Um, there was also, um, also uh, another practitioner that I knew, um, this was a month or two down the line, um, her name was Paige Adams, and she did die in her sleep, just sudden, and she was young, she was very young, you know, um, and we, we really don't know, you know, she was suffering with some Lyme, so we don't know, and that's the problem with a lot of this, some of these people, you know, hey, they, they could have, um, you know, possibly, yeah, something, they could have died, but, you know, there's those cases like Jeff's, where it's just right out there. That right. immediately they wanted to say it was a suicide, and further investigation shows it was a murder, and it was kind of ironic how, you know, these GCMEF injections he was giving them, and he was curing cancer with them. He was eradicating cancer. Yeah, well, we can't uh, have that, because they're working really hard to yeah. give us cancer, so... Well, by what I hear is that the banker knows who kind of... Um, started opening up clinics with um, doing GCMEF injections, he had, he was getting threats from the chemo companies to stop, you know, so um, this is just, uh, that's just hearsay on my end. I don't know, you know, that's right. to be fact, but that's what I have been told. Um, now, um, you know, that's, that's really important, that's a very important piece of the puzzle here, because the, just a few weeks ago, the people that had, that ran out of the UK that had, um, you know, were giving the GCMEF to people in France transdermally. Um, there, I think it was 11 international law enforcement agencies um, from 11 different countries came into France and arrested her and her family. Okay? Right. They arrested them. And under what, what, and think, and under what grounds? Um, I, I think it was like uh, practicing a pharmacy and other things. Well, if this is native to the body and it's not natural, how is it a pharmaceutical? Okay. And did, that's, it's, it's a, did that have grounds to stick or that was just um, to stop them? Well, well we don't, we, I think it was just to stop them. But she is going to court right now and she's trying to raise, I think it's about 170,000 euros because they seized everything they own. Oh, wow. Um, so they can't, even, they can't even defend themselves. Yeah, so I've been, I've been donating money. I put out a newsletter for, you know, other people to help them. Because they were helping a lot of people. Um, we were seeing a lot of progress. I had um, a mom call me the other day who um, had her sort of genetics, and he has autism. And she was just devastated because she said, that, you know, uh, he, was a, he was a patient of Jeff's and um, her son, and they saw so much positive progress when he was getting injections then after he died they no longer got the injections and then they were getting they were getting the sprays or the cream you know there was a couple ways that they were getting it out through people and now this is gone and it's just devastating to people there is one place in japan that is providing gcmef i don't know how good what their quality is because i don't know those people personally but i almost promise you they will be shut down next because what we know is that there's a glycoprotein that has been patented by Israel. And Israel has patented this glycoprotein, and I, I, we don't know how much the similarity is to the um, GCMEF. Okay, we really don't know yet, um, but we have um, attorneys and patent attorneys um, looking over this to look at the um, patents, and one, one particular patent attorney who writes books on J 
genetics knows about GCMAF. She's personally looking at it right now um, to kind of see if there's a similarity because what, what they think happened is that they just, they know that this is um, eradicating cancer. What are they going to do with it? Are they going to just shelf it or are they going to hike the price by 20 times greater and tell the public, oh, you can only get it if you have this much money, Yeah, you know? So um, we don't know what they're going to do yet. But um, my friend in France, um, she is in, um, she's in a lot of um, mess right now, and it's, it's crippled their family. This is what they depended on, and she was such a good person. I had somebody call me, the client called me the other day that um, had um, three bottles of GCMAF that they sent her for free. They were like, because I knew she had no money, and she was super sick, and, and she was asking about the GCMAF, and they were very kind people, and they just gave her a bunch of free bottles of it, you know, and this stuff's expensive to make and extract. Well, to extract and be able to get it and sell it, and those were the kind of people they were. They had big hearts, and oh. for this to happen to them, it's really, really bad. Yeah. Bad all around. There's a lot of um, children that have um, went from being nonverbal to verbal just by using GCMEF. What? A, yeah, and to the parents, of course, it's like. It's the gift of, of, I mean, there's there's nothing more valuable than regaining the child you so loved and brought into this world mm-hmm. that you watch slip away after one inoculation or whatever yeah. set of inoculations. It's it's horrific. I'm, I mean, just on the vaccine boards, hearing from parents, it's just heart-wrenching. And thank uh, God I looked at, I was an independent researcher before I vaccinated my son, but considering I found all these heavy metals in him, his chances of becoming an autistic child were no. multiple. I mean, I don't know about the genetic no, factor. It's interesting when we see people with heavy metal toxicity. What we've discovered is that 84% of chronically ill populations have um, what we call um, um, high oxalic acid. Um, sometimes you can find it in the urine and sometimes you can find it in the blood. Um, it's a, you know, sometimes one person you can only find it in urine, the other person you can only find it in blood, or some people very rare blood in urine you can find. And, um, well, you know, this is something that doctors only look at when somebody gets a kidney stone. And what we know about these calcium oxalate crystals when they're formed in the body is that they not only piggyback all your minerals and kind of prevent them from going to the cell, but they also, they also hold on to all these minerals. And if you have poor oxalate transport, um, or your body's making endogenous oxalate, instead of you removing metals out of your body, they're just going to hang all around your body, and they're going to stay there. So now I know when the first thing I see when I see somebody with heavy metals in them, alarm bells, alarm bells, alarm bells. I know these people probably have high oxalate in their body. And what's interesting how this ties into GCMEF is that when we know when somebody has high oxalate, oxalates share the same transporters with sulfates and sulfites. So when they share these same transporters and you stop sulfate, you, you stop sulfation um, from happening, you, you actually cut off sulfation when these oxalates start hogging up the transport system. You don't sulfate hormones. You don't sulfate carcinogenic estrogens. Well, one of those hormones that you don't sulfate is vitamin D3. 
It's not a vitamin, it's a hormone. And when you stop sulfating D3, you stop making this human protein GCMAF. Gotcha. Because your D3 goes into high D3 storage, and that's where we're seeing that it's directly 100% related to parathyroid disease and parathyroid cancer. And we've noticed that parathyroid cancer has increased by 300%. Whoa. Uh-huh. Now, can I ask you, um, so you've worked with these doctors. Is there something in particular that you've um, added to this? I, mean, I know you're, you're listing the adjuvants in vaccines. Am I correct? Yeah, um, I, have a, um, I have an entire list of, um, I have the contaminant glyphosate, um, but then I also have the entire list of adjuvants and excipients on a database showing what excipient, what adjuvant or what contaminant impacts what DNA on a person, their DNA. Um, and then I have the percentage of the population in the world that are compromised and are also broken down by countries and regions. Wow. And, um, and this is endangered. Sorry, and this is endangered your, your uh, it's endangering your life essentially. Well, I, I know I'm. I know I don't have a lot of people happy with me right now, especially in the pharmaceutical companies, because when you come out and you make a big database like this, showing you know, and, and you have this peer-reviewed research attached showing that hey, this excipient and adjuvant does damage this particular gene, and then you have these RSIDs sitting out there with these particular genes and showing the percentage of the population that is compromised here. Yeah, and it's the only database of its kind in the world. The only one. Okay. And it took me about a year and a half and about $157,000 to make. God bless you, Sterling. God bless you. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. you said they knew exactly what they were doing when they started adding glyphosate to the food supply in 1996. Can I ask how, um, how do you know that's the case and it's not just a result of sloppy study or unknown variables that they're now just trying to cover up? Yeah, I know. Well, you know, they're never going to admit that's exactly what they're doing. But, you know, to look at glyphosate, glyphosate was patented as an antibiotic three years ago. What happens when you give an antibiotic every day? somebody for 30 years, they're going to die, right? They're going to get disease and die. (laughs) Well, glyphosate's been around for about 30 years now, right? So, uh, you know, that's giving somebody antibiotic every day. And what what they knew about glyphosate is they knew that it kills the shikimic pathway of microbial. Well, if you're 90% microbial and you're 10% DNA, and your microbial is your oil in your engine, and your DNA is your engine, don't you think that they knew this? I mean, that, that doesn't take rocket science. Right. That, that does not take rocket science. And that's the way I feel about it, because it's just blatant. When I went to Washington, D.C. in June, um, when I went to Washington, D.C. in June, I remember sitting there and showing uh, at a congressional briefing just a couple of genes that get impacted by glyphosate. I remember going and walking and meeting with the EPA, which is a private lockdown meeting. The public wasn't allowed in. And telling them, you know, for instance, about DAO enzyme and um, anaphylactic shock and how it's on the glyoxylate metabolic process, which we call the glycine cleavage system, and being that glyphosate is intestinal methylglycine, a synthetic glycine that is replacing the amino acid glycine in our body and how ironic
like it is that 84% of the chronically ill population has hyperoxaluria because they have a broken glycine cleavage system, glyoxalate metabolic process, wouldn't they think this is why the rise in anaphylactic shock? Because DAO's um, job is to break down histamine and spermine and spermidine. Those are things involved in allergic reactions and allergic response. It's to do with mast cell proliferation, tissue differentiation. That's, what do we have? We have a lot of people going into anaphylactic shock now. That's just one example of what I showed the EPA. And when you show when you show them something like this, you know, alarm bells should go off that bad things are happening. Hey, we've got to look into this. But instead, when we did our congressional briefing in our EPA meeting there, um, we even invited C-SPAN to the congressional briefing. C-SPAN was a no-show, but two weeks later, oh, they were all out there and everything was all over TV to pass that dark act. But the scientists that were walking in the door showing them, them and proving to them that glyphosate is deadlier than DDT in Agent Orange, they didn't care. They didn't want it televised. Well, we're making some headway because I just read that California is the first state to recognize the cancer-causing aspect of glyphosate. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, cancer causes cancer. That's, you know, that's a no-brainer. I mean, if, um, if we know, um, for instance, GCMAF, the vitamin D-binding protein, has six attacks on cancer, and we know that glyphosate shuts off this glycine cleavage system, glyoxylate metabolic process, and when that happens, the body makes endogenous oxalate. And when the body's making endogenous oxalate, um, you know, it starts hogging up the transport systems that it shares with sulfates and sulfites. And when that happens, you can't sulfate your D3 in order to make this vitamin D binding protein, which has six attacks on cancer. So, okay. So, I mean, interesting. yeah, and if we, um, I mean, besides getting therapies, getting uh, tested for hyperoxylaria, and then doing the GCAMF if we can get our hands on it. Is there something that we can do to protect ourselves um, since it's nearly impossible to avoid glyphosate these days? Well, we know that that some people have a gene called SLC26A1 impaired. Um, Unfortunately, um, some of the programs that I use, we can't find any of the SLC26A1s. I don't know where you can get that tested at. Well, you just have poor oxalate transport, all right, and those people, they like to go on not as much as a low oxalate diet, because if you go on a low oxalate diet, you're going to be avoiding very, very, very um, nutritional foods, like blueberries and carrots. Oh, God. So what we like to do, what we like to do with those people is we like them to go and learn how to measure their oxalate. So they know that they can only, like measuring calories, they can only have this amount of oxalate in their diet daily. Okay, that's one way. And then when we see somebody that is missing, um, these are the components on the glyoxalate metabolic process where the body will not make endogenous oxalate. B1, B2, B3, B5, B6, lysine, magnesium, zinc, and then alpha-lipoic acid. And the alpha-lipoic acid... You only do that after you have B1, B2, B3, B5, B6, magnesium, lysine, and zinc balanced in your body. Um, And um, when you do that, your body, your B6 activity will start running good. We call it B6 activity. Um, And once you have that good B6 activity, your body will not make endogenous oxalate on its own. 
you'll be sulfating. So then you can sulfate your D3. So a lot of people that aren't sulfating right now, we always know that um, synthetic D3 is not going to work on them because it's not sulfated and their body doesn't have the ability to sulfate. So we know that sulfated D3 from the sun between 8 a.m. and noon is good for them, or UVB light is really good for them, or just D-source foods. You know, the mushrooms are great. They're loaded with D. Right. You know? Well, of course, most people are, are vitamin D deficient. Um, yeah. Do you think no, that, well, do you think it's more related to to this hyperoxylaria, or is it chemtrails involved? Uh, are they all? Uh, well, I think everything impairs. There's a lot of things out there that impairs sulfation. Like when you go look at chemtrails, a lot of the metals that they're throwing out there, they have oxalate on the end of them. Oxalate, oxalate, oxalate. Okay. Right. If you go look at the components on the end of them, hi. <laughs> What if you dump in this oxalate on people, okay? Um, we know, um, another thing I wanted to tell you about with oxalate, um, you know, people that have poor oxalate transport, um, you know, we, we always find um, spinach and Swiss chard to be very medicinal. Um, they're not. Even though they're loaded with nutrients, they're not. Because they're extremely, extremely high oxalate. And there was a study done in the 1930s on, two, on, on sets of rats, okay? And they knew that spinach and turnip brain were very high in calcium and other, other nutrients like iron and stuff, okay? Right. And so what they did is they removed their, their, these rats, their, their calcium source, and their recommended daily allowance, they were giving them their calcium source through either turnip greens or spinach. The, fam the rat family that was on the turnip greens, their hair started falling out, they had impaired growth, they, their um, teeth started rotting out because they lost minerals in their teeth. Um, they um, had a, a, a couple of litters of pups they tried to have, died, two, two pups lived but were quickly devoured, and then the rats on the spinach lived long, healthy rat lice and had lots of pups. So, um, on the turnip greens, so that's on the turnip greens, the rats and the spinach died early. Oh, so, so the turnip, the spinach, gr the tur to be clear, the turnip gr greens did better, but the spinach people, the uh, 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 rats and died. The, and turnip greens are moderate high oxalate, but spinach are extremely, extremely high oxalate. I like to tell people when they, you know, when they eat like Swiss chard or they eat spinach, you know how they feel that softness on their teeth, their teeth kind of feel weird? Mm -hmm. Like that weird kind of grindy, you know, feeling. That's actually, it's pulling your minerals out your teeth. Oh, wow. Yeah, because that's what oxalates do. They suck out minerals and, and they grab things. They're cute. It's a chelator, but they also grab heavy metals, too, and ping them around your whole body. Oh, well, that's... Yeah. Is there a place, I mean, because a lot of this is very, oh, you have a natural talent for the absorption of this information. Is there like um? Is there a site you can recommend on on food choices and correction? That is lowoxalate.info. Low O X A L A T E dot info. It's run by Susan Owens. Susan Owens worked with NIH for years, and um, and 
you yes. know, when she, I guess in her younger years, she was like, why are people avoiding this oxalate thing? Why are they saying, why are these doctors saying, oh, you only worry about it when there's kidney stones? Um, and, and, you know, she brought out some pretty good information, but she owns that site, and she's helped over 17,000, maybe 18,000 families learn how to resolve this oxalate issue. Not people, but families. Because usually when you see one person in a family with it, the whole family has the problem. Right. Because a lot of it's not only, it's diet and genetic. I, I'm going to be honest with you right now. I've been following health since I had my own immune disorder. And the more I find out, the more confused I am between, you know, like some certain things that are good for, for this or not good for that. And, and it's, it is getting to be almost overwhelming. And, uh, I mean, well, I, I, to, know, just to assimilate know, that, is, it's a lifestyle dedication. Yeah. This is pretty interesting. And what people have to realize, okay, is that um, they cannot um, think that pro what a protocol that works on one person is not going to work on another person. Like we have, um, you know, there's this one doctor that wrote a book how um, she cured her MS. Um, and then when you go look at the diet, and then I get a lot of these people, oh, I have MS, but I was doing this, her diet, and oh, I'm really sick, I'm dying, I'm not better. Or, you know, people go around and do the Gerson therapy, and some do fantastic and cure their cancer, but then I get the phone calls of the people that have gone there, and after the first IV, that they've had seizures. Uh, the seizures were from hyperoxylaria, by the way. You can't down a bunch of um, IVC and glutathione and, you know, and, and then give them a bunch of green stuff high in oxalate until you resolve this issue, you know. And um, protocols do not work on people. You have got, you know, these people that are saying biohack your body, that's what you have to do. You've got to figure out how your engine runs. And, you know, like I, I always tell people when they come to me, well, I know I tried to do this famous doctor's gut healing stuff, and I got sick, and now I'm even worse. Well, you know, um, it's not that his stuff is bad, but it may not be for you, or you, you may not be ready for it because you have something else going on. And I always try to tell them, do you put the same grade of oil in a Ford F-150 as you do a Mercedes-Benz and think it's going to run? Right. No, you don't. Okay? So the key is the genetic fingerprint. Your microbiome chose you to run your DNA, your engine. Okay? Everyone is different. So we've got to learn how to biohack things. And there's plenty of um, really good things you can do. Like the people with autoimmune disease, they can go to a website. It's called Self Hack, H-A-C-K-E-D. And this guy amazingly has, for people with autoimmune disease, um, he, you know, he puts out, are you TH1 dominant or TH2 dominant? That means that some, a lot of people with autoimmune disease, there are some other T helper cell issues, but those are the two main ones. A lot of people that are TH or either TH1 dominant making too many TH1 helper cells, and a lot of people are only making are making too many TH2 helper cells. And I am the type of person, I'm actually TH1 dominant. I make too many TH1s. So he has a great list of foods, TH1 stimulating foods that promote TH1 helper cells, TH2 stimulating foods. And I went to that website and I saw, along with what I know about my genetics, what I should stay away from, um, what I should be using more of because of my genetics, and going to that website um, is amazing because 
I, um, I try to put more TH2 stimulating foods in my body since I'm TH1 dominant. And these are your people that, um, you know, they can't drink coffee or they can't take methylfolate, methyl B12. They can't, they're actually, um, most of your TH1 dominant people, like me, they're too much yang, they're too much energy. And then the TH2 dominant people are too much yin. They're too slow. They're too slow. So those those yin should be eating more yang foods, okay, yeah. TH1 stimulators. And those yang should be eating more yin foods, TH2 stimulators, to slow them down. And that's another good way to balance your body because protocols do not work. You've got to figure out what's going on with your body, and everybody is unique like a fingerprint. So if, if somebody goes out and gets their, their genetic... Uh, you can do it anonymously if you don't want this, the powers that be to have your DNA info di- linked to you. Well, but, you know, regardless, they have your DNA. You're born in a hospital. Now they have it. You get arrested, they take it. Right. You know? Well, um, if somebody was born off-grid and wanted to stay off-grid, they, they, they could do that. They could yeah. get a DNA test. But then besides going to you, because you're obviously capable of, of understanding this, how else do they find, you know, if you're busy or not in their, anywhere near their well, region? I, I tell you what, I, I, I've got, I've got um, and it's only growing right now, I've got phase one liver detox, phase two liver detox is glyophilate metabolic process. I'm getting ready to put out some, a bigger higher metabolism section. I've got thiamine degradation. I've got the pentose phosphate tablet. I've got all this stuff coming out and all of our mercy cardiolipid section. I've got all this out right now. I've got videos attached to many of the um, SNPs. Like if you go, if you would choose to go to 23andMe and DNA or, or DNA Ancestry, you can just do their Ancestry portion of it and where, um, where you still get the browse raw data part of 23andMe, for example. You still get that raw data and you can dump it into, you know, the app I have made and use a false name if you want to. That's fine. Okay. Okay. And where do right? we find that? Um, 23andMe or DNA Ancestry. And then you go to my app. My app is at mthfrsupport.com. mthfrsupport.com. Okay. I want to make sure we have yeah, it. And- and when you go there, I actually give, have a video on how, how to do this. And what I'm getting ready to do, I am making extensive notes right now. I've got about 50 pages of notes. Probably when I get done with this, I'm going to probably have a couple hundred pages of notations. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of list um, which ones are high priority. This is definite. This is a red flag if you have this, guys. So, um when people go and do this, they'll have notations soon. That'll be in the next six months. Right now you have diagrams and pathways, and people do um, they do um, consult with me on, hey, what is this gene? What is this gene? What is this gene? And I tell them, but I'm hoping to get the notes out very, very soon. Um, it's just been taken, it's taken me several years to write these many of these notes. I could imagine, yeah, and you're very generous with your time and sharing this information, and I, we, we've, uh, this is our second go at this interview, because I had a recording issue the, the first time, and um, I know we can talk about this, you can go into the details that are beyond, you know, even yeah, greater you know, detail, but. Is, I want to tell you, there's two, there's a couple really important ones there, um, there's, um, you know, when I was telling you about this COMP gene, C-O-M-T, the people that are um, homozygous for the V158M, H62Hs, they're usually more yang. They're usually um, TH1 dominant. They usually make a little too many TH1 helper cells where the um, where the um, people that are green, um, 
that shows that, hey, they're flowing well, they're actually flowing too well on the Comp V-158 MH-62H, they're usually, they're usually more um, TH2 dominant. They, they need more yang. They need more energy. And um, then there's also genes like um, FUT2 and NOD2. I see somebody homozygous on multiple FUT2s and NOD2s. First thing I ask them, have you, um, well, how long ago did you get diagnosed with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis? You've got one of them, or, you're, um, or you feel like you're dying all the time. You have a lot of bowel problems. And, um, you know, I know those people, they can't make peptoglycans. Um, they cannot make um, beta-glucans. They cannot make poly and oligosaccharides. So they have to rely on them to get well. And then i got to make sure that they're not TH1 dominant before they bring them in, because that, that can really send them into a tailspin. So it's pretty interesting. You can look at certain genes and know right off the bat, bam, this is it. This is what's going on. But other things, you can't just look at stuff and treat a SNP because when you treat a SNP, you're not treating the person. For instance, if somebody has MTHFR, okay, and they're like, oh, I must take methylfolate. Oh, but hell no. You give methylfolate to almost like a comp or a TH1 dominant person, you're going to give them a heart attack. You know, um, you know, and um, what people don't realize, MTHFR is all about B2 activity. B2 is what converts the folate and the niacin to methylfolate and reduce niacin, and they need that B2 activity working. So, um, you know, there's um, and there's other things when you look at it and if somebody's sick, they want to do further testing to see what is actually expressing epigenetically on the, their genome. And who else besides you does this kind of work, like, honestly, without the pharmaceutical agenda? Um, there's, a, there's a few people out there, but, you know, again, I don't like it. There's one coming up there that says, oh, tired of this 50-page report? And he's talking about my 50-page report. It's just too much. And he has a handful of genes, and he says, oh, you have NAT2. You might want to take sunflower lecithin. Well, NAT2 is not about taking sunflower lecithin. It's about, hey, you're a poor metabolizer of choline, and you better have your glyoxylate metabolic process, your Krebs cycle B's working, and your alpha lipoic acid in order to be able to metabolize choline because you have poor activity here. So, you know, they do have those apps, but they have other apps that, oh, you, you know, you have MTHFR, take folate. And no, again, you do not treat a SNP, you treat a person. Right. Okay. Yes, we're individuals. And I, I've always said that. I'm like, hey, look, I'll tell you what worked for me, but if it doesn't work for you, junk it. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, I've had people where they've seen something work for me, and I'm like, I always put it at the end, do not try this because it may not work for you. And um, they go and try it, and they're like, oh, I backfired. And I'm like, because you're not me. You know, that's why you've got to look at this um, harder because a lot of chronically ill people, they're desperate. So, you know, out of that desperation, you know, um, I, I'm hoping to get these notes out there and, and um, you know, more and more alternative doctors are being educated, but it's really hard for them because a lot of them still want easy, even the alternative doctors. They're like, oh, this is too hard. But then you've got, you've got some out there that they're really learning this and they're really seeing great progress in their people. Um, they're like, oh, my gosh, when they do when they learn this, uh, no wonder I hurt this patient. No wonder I did this to that person. I just feel so horrible. I mean, I had somebody call me the other day, her, um, her autistic son who was having seizures. The doctor put, put him on 
um, tried to give him glutathione, ascorbic acid, and then also methylfolate and methyl B12, and he and then put him on a cannabinoid oil um, that had high, that had um, a bigger THC CBD. Um, kind of the THC was a little too much for him. When I looked at his genetics and his COMP mutation and his GAD mutations and all his neurotransmitter mutations, and then he had hyperoxaluria, he had no business being on ascorbic acid, he needed to be on food source C's, all his ascorbic acid and his glutathione that was coming in his body was shining into glutamate noxalate and it was causing more seizures, and then the methylfolate and the methyl B12 were causing more seizures because he couldn't break down 85% of his methyl donors, and methyl donors are excitatory. They raise dopamine, epi, and norepi, which are energy. So, um, yeah, you can hurt people, and then the indica that this doctor had this um, child on, not the indica, the CBD strain, was I forget which strain it was, but when you have these homozygous comp, D158Ms, H62Hs, the only form of CBD that they can really use is indica, okay? They really become THC toxic on many of the other ones. Okay, okay. <laughs> they, they raise this dopamine, and those people have problems breaking down 85% of the dopamine, so indica is the best one for them as far as cannabinoids, and then you can't give them hip if somebody has hyperoxaluria. Um, hip, is direct, hip is very extremely high oxalate, like spinach, and so you don't want the hip part of the plant on these children with hyperoxaluria, and hyperoxaluria is directly, directly, directly related to epilepsy. 100% related to epilepsy. You're talking about the fiber of the plant versus the, the flower. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, look, uh, for the purposes of our interview, the time is up, though. We can definitely um, keep talking to the extent that you have the, the time and availability. But I wanted to thank you um, for sharing this with the world and with us and our listeners personally. And may God bless and keep you always white protective light around you and all your deeds and all your friends and may truth prevail on earth for the sake of humanity. We are up against the formidable enemies, but knowing that there are, um, there are people like you out there. And I mean, Robert F. Kennedy is and Robert De Niro putting out a hundred thousand dollar, uh, reward for anyone who can prove that vaccines are safe and effective and, and up. All those who are doing their part, God bless you all, because humanity owes you for that. Thank you, Sterling. Vaccines are safe. Autism is not a side effect of vaccine, or to say it another way, because some people don't want, don't hear this well. Uh, vaccines do not cause autism. 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 My name is Polly Tommy, and my son was damaged by vaccines. Some people don't hear this well. My son has autism from vaccines. Vaccines do not cause autism. Today is Saturday, and our son has had yet another seizure. He was born healthy, and before I even gave him the chance to remain that way, I consented to life-saving vaccines. After each round of vaccinations, he had reactions of thrush and eczema. He had two rounds of MMR before three years old. It was then that the chronic skin-burning diarrhea started, and his language and cognitive development stopped. 
My son cannot talk, read, or write. He has bowel disease, autoimmune disorder, encephalopathy, and seizures, all of which are termed autism by his doctors so that they don't have to admit what it is, adverse vaccine reactions. Those who profit from vaccines don't want to hear this well. The media who report on vaccines don't bother to research this well. But listen closely and hear me well. I traded the chance of him getting an acute, fully recoverable, normal childhood illness for chronic, lifelong, painful disorders. Vaccines didn't save his life. They destroyed his health. Vaccines can, and did, cause my son's autism. This is in response to Elizabeth Cohen. My name is Lori Stella, and this is my daughter, Colleen. Hello! Colleen regressed into autism after being vaccinated. To say it another way, because some people do not hear this well. Vaccines cause autism. Vaccines cause brain damage, encephalopathy, autism. It's right on the label. My son Kasper was born as a neurotypical healthy boy. And he was developing great until the bad day when he received combined shots of MMR, DTAP, and polio. He slipped into a severe autism. Due to our biomedical interventions, his autism is milder now, but his speech has never returned. Hear this well. Vaccines do cause autism. Did you know that the license for the Pulse Club expired in 2013? That its legal occupancy was only 150? That if 50 had been killed and 53 wounded, there should have been abandoned cars all over the place? Did you know that the Dallas photograph of a series of officers behind a large wall was photoshopped? That they had to increase the size of the wall to fit the officers in? That they had orange blank adapters on their weapons? Did you know that Hillary has used body doubles? One following her collapse at the 9-11 event was shorter, weighed 35 to 40 pounds less, and looked at least 10 years younger. A Meg Ryan type, a second, on the plane to Greensboro was taller and slimmer and looked more like Meryl Streep. We prove it all. Don't let yourself be played. Check out, from Orlando to Dallas and beyond, 
Hi, if you're interested in the book From Orlando to Dallas and Beyond, then contact me in New Orleans at 504-298-6791 or you can go to PatriotRadioBooks.com That's PatriotRadioBooks.com 504-298-6791 